start recording. So what did we get from chapter six? There's so many things in, in this chapter. Um, let's start off by what is the, the Davidic servant? What did we learn from the Davidic servant this week? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to pose that and see if anybody answers. If not, well, <laughs> this might be kind of a, a one-sided conversation. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, your question was what it said. What did you learn about the Davidic covenant? Oh, okay. All right. So, hey, swear to begin on that one. That's, but, but yeah, in kind of a, a basic sense, what is the Davidic covenant? Why have we never heard about it before? Okay. Um, It's not something we normally talk about, for sure. I think it's safe for, um, as you grow in the gospel and you learn these levels, I certainly didn't even know about it before. I did know about it before this thing, but just I learned about it last in last week's lesson, a little bit about what that was. But um, it's... Gosh, in a nutshell, like, there has to be, like, a, I don't know, I'm going to butcher this. No, just what do you understand from it? It's all good. But it, the reason it's called Davidic is because it's named after King David. And King David, he, um, he, protected all of his, the people in his kingdom there in a literal sense mm, by kind of by, I don't know. Yeah, you're good. Um, so, um, there's, there's many different uh, kind of references to it up until now throughout the, the chapters. It kind of gives like little hints that there's a the Abrahamic covenant, the Sinai covenant, and the Davidic covenant, right? Mm -hmm. So the Abrahamic covenant we've studied in depth where those are, are the blessings that, that can come to posterity. And um, uh, then the, the Sinai covenant is, is a national covenant. These are ones that um, we enter into as a group of people. It's sometimes known as the lesser law. And um, then there's this Davidic covenant where um, it, it kind of comes in conjunction with a national covenant, a, a Sinai covenant, where the, the king takes on a intermediary role in between God and the people in order to provide physical protection. Um, where, what page is that on the where it kind of talks about that really quick? Uh, the bottom of 202. That's where... Um, it points it out really nicely, I think. <clears throat> so the bottom of 202, that last paragraph, halfway through that last paragraph, it says that we call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob patriarchs, not just because they fathered the people of Israel, but because they sought and obtained God's eternal blessings for their descendants. And then look at the difference between patriarch and king. We call 
David a king, not just because he exercised political office, but because he sought and obtained God's protection of his people. So both of those, pay attention to what it says to right after sought and obtained. The patriarchs sought and obtained God's eternal blessings for their descendants versus the, the reverse that, well, not reverse, but uh, the, the Davidic or kings obtain it for a people, not just their descendants. And the one is eternal blessings versus protection. So the Davidic covenant is definitely a protection role that, that they take on in behalf of their people. And we see many different examples throughout the chapter where um, King Hezekiah or um, even people on the seraph level as well, Isaiah, take on a Davidic role of physical protection for their people. So what did we learn or how do we apply this Davidic covenant directly to Abraham? What, what does that look like in the Abraham story that we're very familiar with coming out of our, our previous uh, book club there? How did he take on a physical deliverer role for a group of people? Well, looking at Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance, um, he went in there to um, save the people. He still cared about them, even though they were being very unrighteous. And he he, he kind of took on that Davidic role there to save the people, save them from themselves somewhat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are we supposed to do the same? Like, we never seem to hear about this Davidic covenant. We, we rarely, I don't know, we kind of gloss over David. We always talk about him and Bathsheba and just kind of how he fell from grace, but we never really talk about his righteousness and what he was actually doing for his people, what pattern he provided. So are we, are we still under that obligation to, to seek after the Davidic covenant? And if so, when, how, how do we go about that? Well, um, I kind of remembered where I was going to start with and had a little brain freeze, but I want to go back to David. It was really, um, the, the people were wanting a king, you know, and uh, so the Lord finally lets them have a king, but Samuel was the prophet at the time, and Samuel, um, he knew that they, the, the Israelites had sunk so low that they, they weren't trusting that the Lord could protect them. Um, they'd gotten to, to that state. And so they wanted a king. So the Lord let them have a king. But in, in, this, in doing this, then David is fulfilling this. He's doing the protecting kind of as a vassal king. Wouldn't you call him a vassal king? Under David, David starts out as a vassal king, but then he ascend, uh, ascends higher. Oh, yeah. At what point? Do you know? Oh, uh, where does it say that? Um, so that I'm not misquoting what it's going for there. 
Arizona. Just a second. Well, I'll come back to that because it's going to take me okay. a second. All right. So why do people generally always want a king? What, what's that desire all about? Having learned some of this stuff in, in this chapter, why do people always want a king? Because we see that all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Book mm -hmm. of Mormon. People mm -hmm. are always wanting a king. And what does the Lord usually give them? He usually lets them have what they want. Now in the Book of Mormon, they wanted a king and Nephi was their king. Thank heavens he was righteous and everything went well. And most of those that followed were righteous. But boy, if you get a, a bad king in there, like King Noah, then it is not good. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why, because even like when they're setting up the United States of America, they wanted George Washington to be the king. Oh, Bernie's got a hand up. <laughs> yep. Go for it. You'll have to unmute, Bernie. Okay, I didn't mean to stop you from what you were saying. I, I was done. Uh, a lot of times people want a king for a physical presence of protection. I mean, when you're looking toward the Father in heaven uh, to God as protection, you don't see him all the time. Um, you don't possibly don't feel him all the time. But when you have a king, you see him. And they're looking to that as a physical protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. So going along with that, do you think that generally in uh, our, our scriptural context here that the desire for a king is a lazy one because they don't want to ascend the ladder themselves or is it because they realize their position and they realize that they're falling too short that they can't get there that they're wanting a king to intercede on their behalf is it a good righteous desire or is it kind of a lazy desire what do you think I don't know that you would consider it to be a lazy desire as much as, um, oh, an ignorant desire. They don't know any better. Mm -hmm. uh, they just haven't progressed to the point where they know, you know, what, what uh, God the Father can do for them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting thing that we're kind of born, I don't know, in a general sense, with a desire for a Davidic proxy, right? I mean, we, we are always kind of wanting a king to mediate for us. We know that there's something higher, but we can't see higher because we've never been there before. Kind of like the, the idea of this ladder to heaven, right? We can see our level and below, but we can't see higher, but we're kind of born with this innate sense of there's something higher and we need an intermediary to to, to go for it you know like yes there's christ but we 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 want um someone to make a davidic covenant for us without us knowing what a davidic covenant even is we have a desire for for a king um uh, like you said that it's kind of an ignorant thing but it's not necessarily lazy but it's because we just know that we're falling short but we don't know why and, and mm -hmm. we need an intermediary 
I like that. Um, so how, how do we enter into the Davidic covenant? Is that something that we're supposed to do in our, our latter days? Is that meant for just one person, uh, the prophet, or uh, can we seek that on, on our own? Like what, what's your thoughts and, and feelings after reading this chapter? I don't know. It's not a, a Sunday school topic, is it? <laughs> it's like, hmm. But yeah, all throughout this chapter, I, I felt very strongly that, that this is something that we can seek as we're ascending the ladder. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be ascending, right? Uh, you know, eventually we'll we'll get there to, to the level of uh, of seraph and jehovah etc after this life i mean we're, we're meant to be gods but is it meant for this life and um I, if we're kind of reading into to all of the different things about that the 144,000 will be called to prepare the world for the the second coming um that's the the next level on the ladder so of course we would need to do the the middle one the sun servant level before we we get to the seraph level i, I don't know it's interesting uh question to uh, uh if it's appropriate to even seek kind of thing but yeah go ahead well i'm i guess you could say it's because of uh the things that i deal with uh through the ward and stuff like that but i firmly believe that <coughs> excuse me each one of us should may not be completely but we should enter into that davidic covenant in service and protection and help to everyone around us, uh, our ministering brothers or our ministering families, whether it you know, be uh, brothers, sisters, or the entire family. That's part, to me, that would be part of the Davidic covenant because the Davidic covenant is taking care of the people. And that's what ministering is. Mm -hmm. So kind of in a sense, we have um, that model of the Davidic covenant through our ministering program. We know that um, throughout this chapter, it, it talks about specifically that those on the sun servant level that are that have achieved it on a permanent basis, see God, right? And, and the majority of us haven't done that. And so we have kind of this, this lesser or step-down version of it in the ministering program to help prepare us to to rise to a permanent sun servant level and uh, and seek that so in a sense we we do enter into the davidic covenant or at least put on our davidic training wills i guess you could say with ministering which is an interesting thought i've never put that together as i was reading this that that's very interesting um it's interesting how it kind of has to do with military, at least starting out. You know, the military is supposed to protect us and everything. But looking back, I found it really interesting about the Moses thing. Um, uh, he had entered into that Davidic uh, covenant. And that was prior to King David, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was quite a while. But anyway, that's what that whole thing was about 
when um, the people were at war and Moses was sitting there with his arms up and he gets so tired and his two counselors, Aaron and and her, would have to hold, help him hold his his hands up, you know. But mm -hmm. the the ones that were warring, battling down below, would always look up to him. And as long as his hands were up there, they were winning. Yeah. Anyway, just what page that's on? Um. Right. Yeah. Just I'm just kind of looking for it because there was another point in there that I was. I, I loved. Um, it's quite far back if I. I oh, it's on 191. Yes. Um, let's see. Yeah, that Moses raised his hands and the Israelites won. It says that raising both hands, however, symbolizes a holy man's prayer of intercession with God. If Moses hadn't lifted up his hands, Israel would have lost the battle to the Amalekites. And so I think that that's a, a crucial point in their journey out of the out of bondage and and as they're trying to ascend and learn and, and assimilate new things in the wilderness, that battles are an excellent part of of the learning process. Um, you know, we we've been relatively safe in our last little time frame here. Uh, we haven't had uh, been touched or I don't know, because there's always been like little wars and, and rumors of wars, et cetera. But, um, you know, the, the devastation that, that happens all throughout the, the Earth's history. Um, but, but here you have this, this wandering band of, of people coming out of bondage and, and the Lord chooses to, to allow them to have a confrontation with the Amalekites um, for a purpose so that they can grow and, and learn this principle that Moses is set up as this um, Davidic, um, representant, uh, representative to, to make intercession for them. As long as he's got his hands up that they can win, as long as you have a prophet or a, um, a person praying on your behalf, you can win. Because I think it's equally as important that they were kept looking up to Moses during the mm -hmm. battle and seeing that his hands were up because as mm -hmm. soon as they fell, then their, um, ambitions or their their drive down on the battlefield started waning oh he's not making intercession for us anymore you know i'm <coughs> doing that but as long as his hands were up making intercession it was more of a symbolic act than you know a physical like you know that there, there's power in the hands but there i mean i'm not discounting that either but um how do we put that into to practice in in our day and age uh, do we see our prophet with with his hands up making intercession for us and if and if we see it if we keep our eyes fixed upon it that that we can go forward with with faith and but when when he drops his hands then then we start losing the battle kind of thing uh, is that a, a pattern for for us in our day yeah go for it i think um I think it's a pattern for us in our day to a point uh, is you don't see the prophet raising his hands, both hands in the air so much, mm -hmm. but where else do you see that? That each one of us do that. Um, 
And if you go there with the right intent and if you go there with a prayer in your heart, especially if you're praying for someone, it's there. And uh, the name's on the altar. You're praying for them. And so there's where, to me, it's a personal thing. As far as you, you know, you said just a minute ago that, you know, the prophet or even a person, it's a personal thing that you're doing something for someone else for that. Uh, what is it called? Intercession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, that's way, that's one way that we can do it for personal. Uh, if we ever get back to the temple. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah it's interesting so as i was reading this this morning uh i was woken up really early and uh, i was just like okay i've got to read this chapter (laughs) for tonight i was kind of a little bit behind but i tell you things were standing out to me that that have i've never understood before things that were just clicking and so um just kind of going through some of that let me find what page was really started out for me um I think it was kind of like from 189 and like the next five or six pages but it talks about um this law of justice and the law of mercy and that like we know that the law of justice has to to will out right that uh, it's a divine law when when we make sins and transgressions etc that justice has to be made but there's a, a law of mercy that allows a proxy to, to stand in for us to, to take the, the immediate punishments upon their backs instead of upon our own so that we can kind of push our way through it, uh, not push our way, but kind of be dragged our way through it. And um, anyway, I found that very interesting here where this law of justice and the law of mercy and how that plays into the Davidic covenant and then as we um let's see i'm trying to find the exact spot that that really hit me it was kind of that that whole moses raising his hands etc um yeah just just below that so on page 199 or 191 sorry it says that behind moses's influence was god was his commitment to pay any price for his people's deliverance which I I find very interesting here, that he passes up God's offer to make of him a great nation. So he gives up posterity for for the, I mean, not posterity. Um, He gives up that that offer from from God. So much like Abraham, you know, he was barren for many years. He he gives up that that opportunity in order to to intercede for people. And then he offers to have his name blotted out of the book of life. In other words, he is willing to die and give up the spiritual levels he has attained for the sake of saving God's people alive. And and God can't help but bless an an intercessor in their plea when when they're willing to, to give up their blessings for others. And, um, the next part that kind of just one question there is that why Moses didn't get to go into the promised land is he's he's making that sacrifice there 
is giving that up. It very well could be. I hadn't put that together yet. Um, but anyway, I, I was just kind of thinking and pulling that into our, our modern church, etc. And I was like, do we have these um, Davidic examples, people that are uh, actively praying on our behalf and, and seeking our physical deliverance from things? And I don't know, it was just like this big aha moment of that's what the Hosanna shout was all about in our April 2020 conference. I've never quite understood. I mean, yes, it was great, but I didn't understand exactly why we were doing it or the purpose there. And I, I spent my my study time this morning kind of going through some of that, like what was leading up to the April 2020 conference and um, what was said the, the Saturday session, uh, preparing us for the Sunday session when we would actually participate in the Hosanna shout. And then when he's, uh, Elder Gong is kind of, uh, talking about the difference between Hosanna and, and Hallelujah right before the, the Hosanna shout and uh, how Hosanna means save now. It, it's not sometime in the future or anything. It's it's physical protection right now. Save us right save now. Us now. And, and here we're having this Hosanna shout in the time of COVID. I mean, the, the church is shut down, temples, etc., and we need physical deliverance from from evil. And I found that just so interesting that that our prophet is leading us in a Hosanna shout. He's literally doing the same thing as Moses was up on on the mount, raising his hands uh, in in our battles. and and how divisive that really was for the church. I mean, we see a great winnowing of people falling away because, oh, they don't agree with the pandemic or the masks or the whatever, or the, the vaccine. All of this stuff has been very polarizing, yet we have the knowledge that, that God won't lead his people astray, that we have a prophet called of God, um, throughout the restoration. I mean, there's many things here that, that are coming into play. And regardless of your, your personal ideas and, and preferences on, on politics, et cetera, on the vaccine, here we have an example of a prophet making intercession for us through the Davidic covenant. He understands the law and he knows, just like it says somewhere about Abraham. I, I can't remember what page it's on, but it says that Abraham made intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah because he knew he was the one to do it because he was on the son servant level. And that's what people on the son servant level do. They, they make intercession for others through that Davidic covenant. It's not going to come down to anybody else. They're not going to save themselves. And so anyway, it was very interesting studying out, um, going back to, to 2020, April 2020, it seems like so long ago, but but going back to that conference, what was preceding that uh, with his his things and uh, his invitations prior to conference leading up to it, and then what happens during conference, then we have the Hosanna shout and the, the, the discourse that, that he presents around it, and then what does he prepare us for? Because he says, I'm going to start with a new initiative, and what was that new initiative, April 2020? It was the hear him, and man, the, everything's changed since, since this. I mean, he makes intercession and, and the growth that we 
can choose to to make in our lives based upon his intercession is is huge I, I have no doubt that we are led by a true prophet that understands the Davidic covenant. And he explains it in the best way for a general audience that he can without coming out and saying line item, this is the higher law things that I'm trying to do. We're, we are very much a, a young church that we, we need a lot of milk before we can handle meat in a general sense. But he's saying it as, as powerfully and um, as clearly as he can can possibly say it and he's putting it in the footnotes just pouring those things out here is what i'm trying to do this is what the lord's called me to do and you know even even looking through the footnotes sometimes we miss it but uh, i think that this chapter is kind of a key to to unlocking some of those mysteries surrounding the end times and the the actual davidic servant uh, whether that's President Nelson or, or someone else that, that comes on the scene to prepare us and usher us into the second coming in the millennium. I, I don't know. I, I'm so excited about how all of this is playing out and the Lord's leading us in our learning, etc. I, I think there's much more to learn, but I, that was just one of the aha moments that I had this morning. Like, oh man, this is this is everything. This is the... the you can really see it now. Uh, at the time, it kind of, you know, like, because it's not every day that we have the Hosanna shout. I mean, it was huge. Like, but I wasn't getting it at the time that it was this big of a thing. But prior to that, he had it. He asked us to fast, and he had and he mentioned those three things we were to be fasting for, and so this fits right into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, like you mentioned earlier in the day about uh, when he was called as prophet and the priesthood session there, where he kind of called his, his military battle people there in, in uh, yeah, the where session. Yeah, where is that part here? Military, just a second here our charge oh on page 195 i think this, this is like so interesting because yeah i was going back and i was very reminiscent on, on previous ones and so on page 195 the last paragraph how it starts out it says to the israelites it was important to appoint righteous military leaders who would not compromise god's protection by living evil lives so when david led them in battle for example the israelites proved victorious etc and um Anyway, let, let me just show that clip. I, I think that it's so powerful. I think this, this is one of the most moving things that's ever just like shook me. I mean, it physically shook me at the time and it shakes me every single time that, that I watch it. Um, it's this uh, ministering with the power and authority of God, which is such a instrumental talk for, for knowledge and, and how to proceed the, the last days. Um, but let me pull up the, the very last of this where he's talking just one second. Homes of the Latter-day Saints, all because we hold so we can strengthen. Brethren, there. All right, let me share this real quick. All right, is it full screen or is it just kind of a thumbnail? Um, it's fairly big, but it's only, there you go. That's bigger, okay. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, and then I'm going to play just a second. Let me see if you can hear it. But... There are doors we can open. Is that loud enough? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, this is just a real quick clip. Jesus Christ carry out his work with his power and authority. Brethren, there are doors we can open. Priesthood blessings we can give, hearts we can heal, burdens we can lift, testimonies we can strengthen, lives we can save, and joy we can bring into the homes of the Latter-day Saints, all because we hold the priesthood of God. We are the men who have been called and prepared from the foundation of the world according to the foreknowledge of God on account of our exceeding faith to do this work. Tonight, I invite you literally to rise up with me in our great eternal brotherhood. When I name your priesthood office, please stand and remain standing. Deacons, please arise. Teachers, arise. Priests, Bishops, elders, high priests, patriarchs, 70s, apostles. Now, brethren, will you please remain standing and join with our chorus in singing all three verses of rise up, O men of God. While you sing, think of your duty as God's mighty army to help prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. This is our charge. This is our privilege. I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Anyway, I don't know. I <laughs> every time it, it just gets me. Every time, I I think that that's huge when we're talking about the Davidic covenant, the um, the opportunity that we have to be intercessors for others in this is ramping up here. So we know that times are going to get rough. We're going to have the Antichrist come on the scene. We're going to be persecuted as saints. We're going to have major battles. I mean, have you ever really, really put yourself in the context of Armageddon? Like, okay, I'm going to live through Armageddon because this is real. This is happening within a short period of time. I, you know, that's, that's scary. That's daunting, but yet we have patterns for protection. And that's what the Davidic covenant is all about, providing actual physical protection through these things, because the Lord wants to bless people and in some of his covenant people, you know, especially those on the, the Jacob Israel level or the Zion Jerusalem level, haven't quite risen to their, their full potential yet, but yet he makes it possible for an intermediary, not just Jesus Christ, but other intermediaries who have attained higher spiritual levels, who have seen him, etc., to become Davidic servants in their own right to 
to provide protection. I mean, this is huge. I, 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 I've never put things together in quite this way. You know, we, we've kind of talked about the 144,000 and, and how, you know, this, um, this great uh, army for the last days is, is going to come about and, and uh, gather Israel. But this is, this is a, even more extensive. This is actual battle that we're, we're saving um, gathered Israel from. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just can't tell you how, how impactful that is to me in this moment, thinking, oh, am I going to be able to, to rise to, to the occasion? It, you know, I mean, he, he's mustering the ranks here, President Nelson, and this is our call. This is our privilege. Are, are we going to, to rise and do this? Now, that kind of leads right into to what I want to talk about next. What is the, the role of men and women in the, the son-servant level? How do we navigate those, those gender roles? And how is Satan attacking those gender roles and trying to, to blur the lines and confuse us, get us distracted from, from ascending to this level as, as husbands and wives? That's like 20 questions. Answer them all, please. <laughs> Sometimes I, I throw out lots of questions right in, in a row. That's kind of weird on my part. Sorry. <clears throat> but I mean, if, you know, I, I'm saying this tongue in cheek, please don't take it the wrong way. But if a feminist were to read this section, they'd probably be highly offended by it, right? I mean, oh, it's only men that can do the saving, whatever. But but what does Isaiah and Abraham Gileadi's commentary here talk about when it comes to our individual roles? How does the, the family proclamation play into this and give us clear insights into how we do this? Who can can ascend to this unservant level? We, I find, uh -huh. um, we do it as couples. The man's needed, the woman's needed. And we have different roles in it, but it's together. Yeah. Um, I find it very interesting, the, the chart on 205 and 207. But the, the chart on 205, it, it talks about the marital status of persons who ascend. So it's figure 87. Um, we have Jacob and Israel, where it's male or female. Males or females can, can be on that level. Zion, Jerusalem, likewise, male or female. But it, from there on, it has to be male and female. That, that a marriage covenant is required for, for ascent and, and seraphim as well. That this is what it it looks like and so you know we have lots of different questions and, and things it, it talks about that in the last uh, couple pages of this whole chapter about you know what about those that, that are single and and what about those that, that haven't entered into that that new and everlasting covenant uh, of marriage at the, the altar kind of thing what, what happens to those we have lots of unknowns we have lots of knowns and how do we navigate those things in the last days but I find this so 
intriguing as we are pairing up the different levels of uh, of the ladder, um, they they directly tie into our five covenants that we enter into in the temple. So on the Jacob and Israel level, we have the the law of obedience and the law of sacrifice, our first two two covenants, and then the Zion Jerusalem level, we we ascend and, and take upon ourselves the the law of the gospel, and then when we're son servant level. That is the, the law of chastity. And I've always kind of wondered, like, how does the law of chastity really apply to son-servant level? But now I get it because it's like, oh, this is the first level where, where marriage is an actual requirement and, and everything for it. It's like, oh, it's a direct tie-in. It, it correlates perfectly. And then the uh, seraphim is the law of consecration in its fullest extent. And, and those, the endowment is preparing us for the, the levels of the ladder and what's necessary, what's required, the laws that are required for each level of the ladder. And as we go through here, it's like, oh, these things are just making so much sense. It's clicking. Um, when uh, it talks about the, the male and female uh, symbolic and literal aspects of the son-servant level and how complete fidelity in uh, our covenants to each other and to God play into to that. Yeah, we're not going to rise to the son servant level if we're not completely loyal to God. And, um, you know, he is the, the bridegroom and we as the church are the bride. If we're not completely loyal to that, that we can't ascend to that level. We're not ready to, to live that higher law. And I think that's, you know, perfectly exemplified in the story of Hosea and Gomer. I mean, that's exactly why that, that is given to us. Um, but Anyway, that, that was very insightful to me, um, this, this male and female dichotomy that, that's playing out here in um, the sun-servant level. Um, so let's kind of talk about, um, so we have this Davidic servant, not, uh, well, yes, Davidic servant, but, but the Davidic covenant in general, and how does that apply to our temple proxy work that we do? Is our, I guess uh, a good question is, what level of the ladder are you on? Are you a, a son slash servant level yet? And I mean, like, I'm finding that I'm definitely not because I mean, there's there's lots of things here that I haven't I haven't seen God. I haven't uh, done some of those things here that it lines out. But yet in the temple. I believe that we kind of ascend the ladder temporarily while we're inside those walls, acting as proxy saviors on behalf of those people. But just, just in a general sense, I'd like to throw that, that question out. How does the Davidic covenant play into our, our temple service and, and proxy work? Because Davidic covenant is all about proxy work. And, and how does that, that work? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I think, you know, that for the most part, other than our, our own uh, ordinances that we do, but when we go back, it's for proxy. So when we're taking names through, I, I think it's kind of telling us we're kind of taking that on taking on that helping them so they can 
ascend, have this. So that's what it seems like. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does that go into that more in future um, chapters or do you know? But I think that's what this is about for us as individuals, how we can do that. And I think we're supposed to be doing that. Mm -hmm. It makes it a big responsibility, but. Yeah, it's a huge responsibility, right? But the, Lord's, but the Lord's trusting us with that. Yeah, it's very interesting that um, that we sometimes get into that routine, right? As, as good, faithful LDS people, we, we get into the routine of going to the temple, doing the proxy work, spending our two hours, getting out kind of thing. But yet there's so much more to it that we're actually taking upon themselves deliverance. And that while we're there, we are that person. And, and because we've went through some of the things that we can take upon ourselves their sins and iniquities for for that time so that we can help them be endowed with power themselves etc like there's so much responsibility in going to the temple and doing proxy saving ordinances for people and you know i i've fallen into that routine many times and i think that this um this break from the temples has been really eye-opening uh, or the desire to get back and do that. I want to, I mean, I'm, I'm still doing family history work and everything, but um, there's just something about actually performing the ordinances for people and, and officiating in those that is, uh, that's one of the blessings of proxy work, right? Uh, that's one of the blessings of uh, the sun servant level, the, the Davidic covenant, uh, the blessing of, of just pure joy sacrificing of my own time and, and self in order to help others relieve themselves of, of all of those burdens that they, they had prior and endowing them with power. I think that that's huge. I think it's as important as we go through um, these ordinances for them that we're very alert and trying to trying to help them as we're going through and paying attention because we're doing that for them so they can get this. And so it's important we're not just dozing off and sleeping through these things that we're trying to help that person that whole time that we're uh, uh, doing that proxy work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So question, as we are you know, we're always looking to ascend, whether we're right at, at that ascension or, or not. Uh, what's my question? So how can we talk about this more openly? Or how do we know who we should be talking with about the Davidic covenant? And um, how does that work? So like taking the example of um, Abraham, for example, I mean, did the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe Lot's family did, but did the, the people in general know that they had a proxy deliverer interceding with God on their behalf? No. I don't think so. Did the, 
so taking it to, to King Hezekiah, did the people under King Hezekiah's rule know that, that he was nigh unto death and, and pleading their, their case um, for, for physical deliverance? I, probably not. Mm-hmm. So what does this apply to? Does this apply to our families? And, and if so, are they going to know that we're interceding on their behalf? Uh, does it apply to our communities? and, and uh, etc. Like on uh, page 186, 187, it talks about this principle that yes, we have one intermediary person and that's Jesus Christ. I mean, he atoned for the sins of all mankind, but he allows this proxy saviorship on, on seraphim and sun slash servant levels that we can actually intercede for people as well, not just our, our savior. And you know, I, I find that that's kind of a, a tricky, I, that's probably why we don't talk about it freely, because it could easily get apostate real quick, you know, like, oh, you're talking about that we don't need the Savior anymore kind of thing, but that's not it at all. This is just the Savior himself who has taken upon himself all the sins and, and transgressions, iniquities, etc., allows us a part in that in a small way in our own groups and, and, and influence and everything, but that we can um, answer for the transgression of others to provide one tiny part of the, the overall atonement for physical protection for others, that, that he allows that and, and provides that so that we can start growing and learning and, and becoming gods in our own right in, in small incremental steps, you know, even while, while in this life, I find that that's a huge privilege, uh, a huge uh, responsibility that, that we have to, to do that. Yeah, go for it, Dan. Well, uh, look at your word structure. Look at the structure of the church. And, I mean, you have uh, your quorums, and they're responsible for their area. But look at your ward. Who's responsible? I mean... I'm not sure that they're going to answer for the sins, but they are responsible, just like uh, Moses was. He's responsible for those people. The bishop is responsible for the ward. The stake president is responsible for the stake. So uh, I know for a fact that the bishop prays and pleads all the time for the ward members. A stake president does the same thing. So there's a lot of people who are doing, you know, what we're talking about here uh, for us, for us individually. It's not just, you know, us doing it, but there's a lot of people doing it for us right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how is that going to play out in the future when we are under physical threat? You know, like we could easily be uh, our, our lives in danger and, and we have these Davidic covenant keepers that will rise up and, and intercede on our behalf. What does that look like? What's that going to feel like? Um, and, and are we willing with higher knowledge to to try to ascend to that level so that we can enter into the Davidic covenant and be intercessors for for our loved ones, et cetera. Look at the, um, I mean, if you wanna go back a few years, 
and look at the ones, you know, how that's going to play out um, at the Teton Dam when it collapsed. The government came in and they sat in a meeting and before long, they just backed out because the state presidents, the regional area authorities, uh, they just took care of it. They stepped up and they did what they needed to do to protect the people and help the people. And I think that's what it's going to be when, when the time comes for us in our individual wards, uh, the bishopric will step up. They'll do what is needed to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I even see it playing out in part, even especially this year. You know, we have a massive drought headed our way in the Intermountain West. I don't know about uh, everywhere else, but I mean, we are, we're going to need some, some saving here. We're, we're going to need intercession on our behalf just to survive, you know, like how many people really have their, their food storage and, and things and, and playing out even uh, future years in, up to the, the second coming. We know that there's going to be droughts and pestilence and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, in part, we have the perfect structure already in place. I mean, that's how we're, we're organized, right? Like you said, that the, the bishops are, are pleading on our behalf and how many times do we have fasts for, for moisture, et cetera. But uh, like this year, this year is gonna be a really tough year for, for those that aren't prepared and, and how do we lean on those that are uh, interceding for us and, and how do we uh, learn to, to consecrate all of our, our goods together to, to benefit the whole. Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting playing out from, from here on out. I mean, we're, we're headed into the second coming at a, a breathtaking speed, but um, we're, we're learning how it uh, moves and functions, etc. cetera. But um, just kind of one last question before we, we head out for the night, but it talks in this chapter a lot about the conditional covenants and unconditional, well, blessing, sorry. Uh, conditional blessings and unconditional blessings. So, um, what what did you learn from from those? How do we go about making our blessings unconditional? Um, like like Father Abraham, for example, he he strove and, and obtained unconditional blessings for him and his posterity. How do we go about making that transition in in our lives and in our covenant keeping, uh, making things unconditional where they they will be. Um, blessed us. I don't know how many times I wrote loyalty in this chapter. I think it's by proving our loyalty. We're, we're tested in that. Which what, is which rung of the ladder? That's the previous one, right? I mean, that was the chapter prior. Mm -hmm. So if we can't handle those three tests of loyalty on the Zion Jerusalem level, how are we going to, to handle all of the loyalty tests that come on this level, right? Mm -hmm. Keep going. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, that, that's all I was saying. It is the tests of loyalty. But, but once we prove ourselves that way, then I think those become unconditional. Because mm -hmm. we make those... Um, trying to find that Abraham one again. Just a second. It's 191, I think. <laughs> I, I do need to take better notes. Um, 
Anyway, but it talked about the the two different um, Abraham versus David. Oh, 202, um, where the patriarchs, we call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob patriarchs, not just because they fathered the people of Israel, but because they sought and obtained God's eternal blessings for their descendants. And that we call David a king, not just because he exercised political office, but because he sought and obtained protection of his people. And um, that unconditional part there with the patriarchs, as we rise up in the, the patriarchal order to our, our full potential, we can start making those, those blessings unconditional, uh, much like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. I found that very insightful. This chapter was just like mind blowing. <laughs> There's so much. I thought last chapter was was daunting, but this one I was just like the more I studied, the slower I went, and it took me like hours to to read through this chapter and and, and try to soak up everything that I could. I have listened to this audiobook like two or three times since the Abraham uh, book last time and stuff. But you just don't get as much with only listening here taking notes trying to glean all of this information and, and assimilate it is, is very difficult it's a it's a daunting process but there's so much here each level of the ladder has a new law a higher law and and trying to learn what those terms and conditions and blessings are is exciting but but challenging and so it kind of brings me back to president nelson how many times has he encouraged us to learn divine law, learn how it works? What, if you want a certain blessing, learn the law that it's predicated on and then start living that law and, and how that works out in, in President Nelson's life in all of the previous prophets' lives and, and even into past um, dispensations. They knew divine laws and, and it's up to us to, to start learning those laws and, and figuring out what blessings we want, what level of the ladder we want to ascend to, and start making our way up the ladder by living higher laws. You know, it says somewhere in this chapter that, you know, sometimes a sin on a higher level does not equate a sin on a lower level. You know, uh, like Moses smiting the rock or, or, or whatever, it gives that example there, that, you know, that's not a sin for you know, somebody on the, the Jacob Israel level, but it was for Moses at that time that, uh, and uh, what, uh, oh, it's right there on the page. I'm, I'm just kind of sitting here trying to collect my thoughts and, and put phrases together, but it's right here on page 201. Um, it says that, that Moses served God on the seraph level more faithfully than all. What constitutes a sin on one level, moreover, may not be a sin on another. It'd be a serious transgression for someone to try to sacrifice his own son but it would have been a serious transgression for Abraham not to have done so. God adapts his law and word to different categories and circumstances of his people. And I find that just so intriguing that, you know, uh, living a, a life on the Zion, or on the Jacob Israel level, you just don't know what more is required. And you, you kind of know that there's something more. And then you ascend to the Zion Jerusalem level and you start kind of having an awakening and an aha moment of, oh, there's so much more to the gospel than just faith, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost, and then eventually getting your endowments, etc. There, there is higher laws and higher blessings. How else would we attain godhood? Just by 
you know, just by enduring to the end and good luck, you, you made it through <laughs> a gold star on your forehead. You, you're a God now. No, it's by learning the laws that, that govern the universe on step-by-step, step, line upon line, as we grow up in, in these things, start getting richer blessings, bigger challenges, more responsibility. Of course, this is how it's set up. Like it, it makes so much sense. And um, anyway, starting out the book, I was like, okay, I think I'm like a Jacob Israel level. But then I started, you know, really getting into it. It's like, oh, no, I, I'm further up the, the ladder than, than Jacob Israel. And then, you know, at one point I was like, oh, I, you know, from some of the generalities that are expressed in previous chapters, I'm like, oh, I, I'm probably sun servant level, you know, I'm proxy doing work for uh, people in the temple, etc. But then reading this chapter, I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not sun servant level yet. <laughs> there's, there's much more that I have to, to do to, to get to that level. So okay, so it, it kind of gives me my bearings. It's like, okay, I'm on the Zion, Jerusalem level now. And how do I pass three tests of loyalty? How do I go on this hero's quest? And, and do these things so that I can ascend, so that I can see God, so that I can get those higher blessings in my life. It's like, oh, it's all about Davidic covenant. Three tests of loyalty, Davidic covenant. That's kind of where I'm studying and learning those laws, etc., cetera, um, in order to, to keep progressing. It, so it's a ride. <laughs> this, this is the level where um, the sun servants are the ones that get to see um, the Lord mm -hmm. being Jesus Christ and, and, and he, he teaching them personally face to face. So that's what this is about. And, and um, it's interesting how you brought up earlier that's, we won't have time to go into all this, but just throwing this out here for an, another week, but about the school of the prophets when you started looking that up, because that's what they were trying to do is how to learn to see God. Mm -hmm. and, that, and they started out. And anyway, that's a whole different ballgame. But um, the things that they were learning and, and there was some of them that did do that through this. But was even more interesting is when you like was searching for that, it comes up that um, that they did this anciently too. In the school uh, of the prophets is repeated throughout history. I had no idea. <laughs> and like Elijah was, and them were in these school of prophets, and they were trying to ascend this ladder just like we are, and they were trying to ascend this sun servant level. That's what that school of the prophets was all about, and it's interesting. But yeah, we don't have time to discuss that at all right now. But I think, you know, in time, maybe next week or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts, questions, concerns, comments? <laughs> yeah, this is a, a crazy chapter. And then next week, Seraphim. I mean, boom, we're, we're going to be hitting some huge points there. But yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll see y'all later. Have a great week.